Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that he gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. We are um, in a series entitled Jesus Wishlist, and we keep asking the question, what does Jesus want for Christmas? And so I want to encourage you, grab the Bible, whether it's in paper, whether it's electronic, however you want to uh, turn to the scriptures, turn over to Galatians chapter 4, go to verses 4 through 7, if you would head that direction. Uh, I want to pose a question to you. If you had to describe the true meaning of Christmas, how would you do it? If, if somebody uh, asked you, what, what does Christmas mean, what would you say? And I think for many of us, especially those of us that are raised in a Christian home and church, and, and we think like, yeah, oh yeah, I can do that, that's not a problem. But when we're put on the spot, sometimes we, we struggle in explaining what Christmas truly means. And, and I had the honor this last Wednesday of hanging out with our high school students and, uh, at youth group, and I asked them the question, what is the true meaning of Christmas, and I asked if anyone could describe it in one minute or less, and we had a couple of them do it, and they did a great job. Uh, they were, you know, obviously talking about the birth of Christ, but they, they got into other things too, you know, like family gatherings and dinners and, and drama, family drama and candies and trees and, you know, gifts and things like that, and, and then we narrowed it down to 30 seconds, and then we said, could you do it in 10 words or less? Could you describe the meaning of Christmas? And I wonder what you would say if we did that to you this morning. Because I think a lot of us have trouble defining Christmas because there's so much attached to it. It's become such a big thing that sometimes we have trouble zeroing in on what the true meaning of Christmas is. And I believe that's true, not just in the church, but I, I think everywhere. Uh, I was doing some research on this recently, and I ran across this, this woman's blog, and she was trying to answer the same question. And it almost broke my heart in reading this. And, and I, I want to read some of this to you, and I, I think... Uh, some of you might, uh, you might even understand what she's going through. Like maybe you've been there or maybe you're there right now. But she starts off and she says, what is the true meaning of Christmas? Should it be about Santa Claus, presents, sweets? Or should we give jolly old Saint Nick the boot in favor of mangers, mass, and baby Jesus? The only thing people seem to agree on is the fact that they wait all year long for this beloved celebration. Presumably because we have fond memories from our childhood of whatever ceremonies we choose to perform during the Christmas season. Deep down, we all want the same thing, to recapture some of that magic that we felt when we were young during those special times spent with loved ones in long, dark hours of winter. I grew up in a household without a lot of tradition, cultural, religious, family, or otherwise. We were a dysfunctional island unto ourselves, and thus we celebrated the most treasured of holidays in whatever fashion made sense to our family. My father loved to buy presents, which is odd because I'm fairly certain Christmas shopping was the only kind of shopping that he ever performed in the 20 years that he was married to my mother. 11 months out of the year, the man of our household was withdrawn, verbally combative, selfish, and childish, but during the month before Christmas, he changed. I think the only time I ever saw my parents leave the house together without us was the weeks leading up to Christmas. They would come home from shops whispering conspiratorially and smuggling bags of goodies down the hallway into their bedroom away from prying eyes. The scene 
would have hardly raised an eyebrow in most families, but my parents didn't talk, much less conspire together except at Christmas. She goes on to say, my father only knew how to show love through material gestures. He would ignore my very existence through every school project, new friendship, broken heart, and hormonal meltdown I suffered. But on that one fateful day in December, he believed that he could make up for all of it by buying the perfect present. Would I have rather had a participating and loving parent in my life? Of course. But that's adult reasoning, looking back on a clearly troubled youth and making judgments. At the time, I didn't know any better. All I knew was that for a couple of weeks every year, my family looked like the ones I'd seen on television and in the movies. I'd wake up Christmas morning to find the house and my life transformed. My little brother would be asleep on the floor next to my bed. My parents were asleep in the same room instead of one of them on the sofa. And the tree, which had been bare and lonely the night before, was suddenly covered in shiny tinsel, tinsel and surrounded by mountains of packages. We would have breakfast together and then spend the entire day opening packages and watching the same Christmas movies on television every year. I know that all that glitter and tinsel was a poor substitute for a stable environment which every child should grow up with, but I still feel the thrill of the season each year when the Christmas tree goes up and the lights twinkle to life, like they answer some unspoken question of my heart. I fiercely and steadfastly refuse to adapt what few traditions I remember from these times in my childhood. Laying any of them aside or to rest would be like saying goodbye to a cherished friend during a difficult time. Christmas for me is about sharing what few uh, happy memories that I have with my children and trying desperately to hold on to that feeling of warmth and security that I feel at Christmas all year long. I think this is what anyone wants for Christmas. I shop too much during the holidays. I buy too many gifts. I, pick up, I put up too many lights and watch a Christmas story about 100 times more often than any sane human being should. But it's not because I've been hopelessly brainwashed by a materialistic or consumer-driven society and have lost the true meaning of Christmas. Far from it. I spend the majority of my time as a parent trying to figure out how not to raise my children in the same environment in which I lived. Christmas is, one, is the one time of the year that I want to share with my family the family traditions that I experienced, however misguided they might have been. When I read that, it broke my heart. It was like, because nowhere in there is Jesus. Nowhere in there is why we're here today and why we celebrate this time of the year. We have a whole world around us that's lost, that's searching for truth, searching for something that you and I claim to have. How would you describe the true meaning of Christmas? If you had to write it out, what would you say? Because I, I want us to answer that question this morning. Uh, take a look at Galatians chapter 4. This is not your typical Christmas passage, but I think you're going to agree when we read this that you're going to see Christmas all through this passage. Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 4, says, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Is that not great news? It is, isn't that a great definition for Christmas? Let, let's take a look at these, uh, just a few of the lines that I, I see in here. Uh, it starts off by saying, when the right time 
came. Now, we talked about this last year. I'm sorry, last year. We talked about this last week, remember? About God's timing is not always ours. Can I just tell you again that God's timing is perfect? It's perfect. I know some of you are struggling with that because uh, you've got something you've been praying about, something you've been desiring, your heart's desire, and you've been crying out to God and it hasn't happened yet. And I told you last week, don't give up faith. Don't lose hope because God's timing is perfect which is kind of odd to say at this time of the year because we're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, right? And if you know your scriptures, you know there's a big gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Actually, there's 400 years. See, they call it 400 years of silence from the time the Old Testament ended to the time the New Testament started where Jesus is born. 400 years that the Jewish, uh, the Jewish people had not heard a word from God. Like he hadn't said anything, he hadn't sent a prophet, 400 years of silence, and then Jesus shows up on the scene. That's why there was such a celebration. That's why the news from the angel was such a big deal, because all of a sudden, out of 400 years of silence, God sends his son into the darkness. Now, my question is, do you believe in God's timing? Do you, do you trust God with whatever it is that you're trusting Him with? Do you believe that in the right time, when the right time came, or when it comes, that He's going to answer your prayers? 400 years, and you thought you had waited a long time, right? Do you trust God's timing? He goes on to say, God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. Freedom. I mean, I... I Anytime that word comes up in scripture, I key into that, man. Uh, Jesus came. He, he came to buy our freedom because we were slaves to the law. What, now, what law? Because I think as Americans, we automatically think, well, the laws of the land, right? But that's not what it's talking about here. See, in the Old Testament, the Jewish faith had 613 commandments that they were supposed to live their life by. They had all tried and all failed to meet them perfectly. Why? Because we're broken. We're not perfect. We're messed up people. We, there's no way to do that. And, but yet they were holding these up and they were pretending like they were following all these commandments so they could be made right with God. And in the midst of this, Jesus shows up to free us from that law. Now, did he do away with the commandments? No, he didn't do away with them. He just changed it. He created a new covenant. Instead of, of rules and instead of religion, he made it into a relationship between us and God. It says, then Jesus came so that God could adopt us as his very own children. And this is good news. This is amazing. I look at that and I go, really? Like me? As messed up as I've been, all the stuff I've done, like God wants me to be part of his family and he sent his son for that? Yes. And for you too. We went from penniless orphans to moving right into the mansion because of what Jesus did here. There's a song that we sing here at Mountain View Fellowship called The House of the Lord. Uh, there's joy in the house of the Lord. You might remember this song, but part of that song says, we were the beggars and now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by his grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. And on that, man, I'm like, hallelujah. I rip into that one because I, I relate to that. Went from beggars to royalty? That's what Jesus did for us. So that God could adopt us as his very own children. Not only that, he put a cherry on top. It says that God has sent the, son of, uh, the spirit of his son into our hearts. 
See, the problem that we had was a sin problem. We were broken in our relationship with God. But when Jesus came and he sacrificed himself, when we believe in Jesus, we put our trust in him, we're made right with God. We're cleansed because of his sacrifice on the cross. And in that moment, God sends his spirit to dwell within us. Now, there's a name that we use for Jesus at this time of the year that we focus on a lot. It's called Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. And so often when we hear that, we go, oh yeah, Jesus was born in a manger, God with us. But I go, no, 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 it's much deeper than that. It means like even today, like God with us. Why? Because of what Jesus did. Isn't that great news? I mean, he paid for our sins. We can be filled with the spirit of God. God is with us. Do you see why the angel, when he said, I bring you great news of great joy, which shall be for all people. Isn't that amazing? This goes so deep. I don't want us to miss this this morning. Now, if I'm summarizing this whole passage here in Galatians chapter 4, I would say at the right time, God sent Jesus to free us so that we could be adopted into his family and he could fill us with his spirit. That's great news. I think that would be a great definition for Christmas as well. Uh, This series is entitled Jesus Wishless. And we keep asking the question, what would Jesus want for Christmas? Because after all, it's his birthday, right? Instead of us getting all the gifts, why don't we ask the question, what does Jesus want for Christmas? And try to give him that. Uh, We just read in this passage that God sent Jesus so that we could be adopted as God's children. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, chapter 2 builds on this. It says in verse 11 and 12, so now Jesus and the ones he makes holy. Now let me stop. Jesus and the ones he makes holy. Who is he talking about there? Anyone? Us. Yes. So when we receive Christ, remember? We're forgiven and we're made right with God and he can fill us with the spirit. Uh, We're made holy. Not because of anything we're done. Not because we're holy. But because God is holy. Because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. Pays for our sins. We're made holy in that moment. He's talking about us. This passage is for you and for me. For those of you that that call yourselves disciples of Jesus Christ, this is for us. It says, so now Jesus and us have the same Father. Isn't that great news? That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. So can I answer the question this morning? What does Jesus want for Christmas? I would say Jesus wants brothers and sisters. He wants siblings. That's what he came. And the first time I heard this, I remember going, no, that's, that's blasphemy, right? That I'm a brother of Jesus, seriously? But here's what the text says. That we are brothers and sisters of, of Christ, of Jesus himself. When we believe in our hearts the gospel of Jesus Christ, we surrender our lives to his lordship. God adopts us into his family and he considers us joint heirs with Jesus. We are his brothers and sisters. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's part of Christmas. The fact that Jesus would come so that he could have more brothers and sisters. And then we spend the rest of our lives allowing the Holy Spirit to mold and shape us into people that look more and more like Jesus every day. Why? Because our Heavenly Father wants his children to bear the family resemblance. He wants us to look like him. And so he gave us the perfect example in our older brother, Jesus. He's the example that we follow. Uh, There's a story in Mark chapter 3 where Jesus tells us 
who his brothers and sisters are. And in case you're still not tracking, you're like, I just don't know if we can really be Jesus' brother and his sister, right? Uh, Jesus says it himself. In this story, in this context, he's actually sitting in a crowded house. He's with his disciples. All these people have come in. They're hearing him teach. And his physical family shows up at the door. Now, the reason they show up is because, obviously, they're not at the place yet where they believe Jesus is who he says he is, and so they're, they're worried about him. He's saying all these, making all these claims, and, and they're like, oh, I don't know, you know. Uh, and then they also understand that there's people trying to kill him, and so they're worried about him, uh, worried about his welfare, so they show up at the door. Well, they can't get in, so they send a messenger in to find Jesus. The messenger gets to Jesus and goes, hey, uh, Jesus, you're... Your family, meaning his physical family, his blood family, is standing outside the door. And take a look at what Jesus says in verse 34. Then he looked at those around him and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who, what, does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. See, his statement made it very clear that while these earthly relationships are important, spiritual relationship relationships are even more important. They go to a whole other level. Why? Because these are eternal. These are eternal. Now, can I just drop some um, sobering truth on you? This truth I don't like. I'll just be honest with you. I don't like it. But here's the reality. You've got brothers and sisters in this room that you're going to spend eternity with that are not your blood relatives. And then you might have some blood relatives who will reject God their entire life and they're going to spend eternity separated from you and God. Now, I don't want that to destroy you. For me, that motivates me. That, that pushes me to go and reach my family, to love them, to, to try to be Christ to them, to try to preach the gospel to them. I want every one of them to know who Jesus is because I want to spend eternity with them, with God. So what does all this mean for us? Uh, bringing it right here, right now, 2021, right here at Christmas time. Uh, what are we supposed to take out of this? What are we, what's our takeaway today? Well, I would say this. Um, you are the church. We are adopted into God's family. If you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are part of his family. You're his children, which means that the, the big C, right, the global church, you're part of God's family, but... You also have a local church family. If you're part of this body of believers, this is your spiritual family. Isn't that crazy? Look across at somebody. You're going to spend eternity with some of these people. Does that scare you or what? No, that, that should be exciting. That's, that's exciting. That we're going to spend eternity together as brothers and sisters in Christ. See, Jesus is our brother. God is our father. And then he fills us with his Holy Spirit. Romans 8 tells us, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You know who he's talking about? You and me. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're part of this family, you are part of the MVF church family, part of this spiritual family. Congratulations. But here's the problem. You ready for this? We're dysfunctional. We're kind of messed up, aren't we? Why, why is that? Because you would think we'd receive Christ and things would be perfect, right? But here's the reality. We're not perfect yet. Remember, we're, we're saved. Our salvation is secure in Jesus. But now we start the process of the Holy Spirit sanctifying us, of, of making us more like Jesus every day, which means we're not, we have not arrived yet. We're, we're still messed up. Like, like I'm jacked up. I'm going to say some stuff to you that might offend you. 
I'm I'm going to hurt your feelings. I'm going to cross you. I, I, I might sin against you. I don't want to do those things. But, but because we're not perfected, we have that, that opportunity to hurt one another, to say things to one another that's not right. Does that mean that the church is bad, that God is horrible? And no, it just means we're just not perfected yet. We're, we're growing to be more like Christ every day. So here's what I want to say. Uh, when I was growing up, I had a brother and a sister, and both of them were very close. All three of us were very close in age, which means we fought a lot growing up. I'll just tell you, this is the way it is, right? If you had a close brother and sister, you know what I'm talking about. It's just part of growing up. But when I got in a fight with my brother or my sister, did we kick them out of the family or did they kick me out of the family? No, that was just part of the problem. We just had to work through it. We're still part of the same family. Um, We're grown up, like we're old now. And my sister and I, we still butt heads. Still to this day. I love my sister. I love my sister. I'm telling myself that. I love my sister. All right? But are we still part of the same family? Yes, that's, that's never going to change. Now, let me tie that to the church. The problem that we have in the, in the local church today is this, is that for many of us, we come in and we try to be part of a family and we get our feelings hurt or we get offended by something or we don't like something about the family and we leave the family. Can I challenge you a little bit and go, wait a minute, don't do that. You're part of the family. Stick with the family, even if you get offended, even if something happens, even if you get wrong. You know what you do? What do you do with a brother and sister? You work through it. You have the hard conversation. You grow together. You mature together. That's what happens. I think so many Christians have walked, a, walked away from situations that God had designed to grow them up in, and they missed the lesson because they just left it. They just walked away. See, it's an opportunity for us when we struggle or we're having conflict for us to grow, not just in our relationship, but in our relationship with God as well. And I don't want us to miss that. I want us committed to this church, to this spiritual family that God has put put us in. Even though we're flawed, can I just say this? This spiritual family has everything that you need. Why? Because Christ is the center of it. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He said, there is nothing needed between here and heaven that is not provided in Christ and Jesus Christ. Can, I get, can somebody say right on to that? Okay. Let me read it again. There is nothing needed between here and heaven that is not provided in Jesus Christ. This is it. So especially at the Christmas holiday season, let me ask you, why are we looking for satisfaction everywhere else? When it's here. It's with Christ. It's with his people. Are you looking for truth? Are you looking for purpose? Are you looking for direction and meaning and help and support and, and security and rest and a kick in the butt? Let's be honest. Sometimes that's what we need, right? You're looking for those things? You know where you're going to find them? Within your spiritual family. Within the family of God. And here's what's great about it. Even if it's disciplined, even if it's hard... <laughs> God's in the middle of it, and he grows us up in that. We mature in that. Whatever you need can be found in the family of God. 
Now, we talked last week about how to become a brother and sister of Jesus. We talked about the fact that what Jesus wanted for Christmas was that he wanted to rescue those who were far from him. Today, I want to talk to those of us that are in this family already. You've already received Christ. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ. You're trying to walk with him and mature in him right now. Uh, I want to ask you the question, what kind of family member are you? What kind of family member are you? Uh, If Jesus came to free us from the law, if this is not about a, a rule, it's about relationship and understanding that a relationship goes two ways, right? That, that God rescued us, but he also wants it reciprocated, like he wants us to have a relationship with him and seek, seek him in that as well. He sought us out, let's seek him. Um, what kind of family member are you? I posed this question um, to our volunteers here recently because we, we take this very serious. Because we have a mandate out there in the lobby. It's right on the wall. It's on everything that we print out. This is our mission. We're here pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships in three different directions. And the first two is fostering a uh, relationship with God, the up relationship. And we want you to do that daily. And then the other one is in. That's with your family members, other people within the church. And we want you to do that at least once a week. That's minimum. Are you doing that? Are you fostering those relationships? Are you taking it serious? What type of family member are you? Um, With our volunteers, I pose this question to them, and I want to pose it to you right now. If everybody at MVF, everybody in this church, acted the same way you did, if they were the same type of family member that you were, what kind of church would this be? Would it be the type of church you'd want to go to? It's kind of sobering, isn't it? Like this is, this is the body. This is the way that God has created it. He's given you spiritual gifts. He's, he's called you to plug in and engage and, and build up the body. Are you that type of family member? Are you the type that's like, I'm the 16-year-old teenage girl. I'm sick of this family. I'm leaving home. And you just leave and walk away from it. Or are you the type of person that you're engaging by your actions and your words? You're, you're making the family better. You're bringing unity, not division. You're bringing love and forgiveness within the body. Is that you? I hope so. What type of family member are you? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to work on you, to sanctify you, to transform you? Are you serious about getting in and becoming more like Christ every day? Are you, are you doing what we talked about last week? You know, John chapter 15, are you remaining in Christ? Are you abiding in Christ and growing in Him? See, because I, I think many Christians that I talk to, they use... Uh, Phrases like, well, I drifted away, right? I feel distant from God. Like, I feel far from him. Like, God's, God's not close to me. He's far from me. And I always ask the question, you know, well, who do you think moved? Right? Because God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you're feeling distant, guess who moved, right? But here's what, here's what we're at so often. I don't think that we drift away in a day. That doesn't happen. I don't think we wake up one morning and go, you know what? I'm tired of following God. Uh, I'm just going to stop now. That doesn't happen. I think it happens over time. I think for some of us, it's just by maybe skipping a few services, skipping a few life group meetings, and then pretty soon we just kind of get in our own lazy routine, and we're like, yeah, I really don't want to put the work into it. Relationships, they're kind of hard, you know? And then before we know it, we're just not connected anymore. And I think for the most part, that's kind of what happened through COVID. Like we got out of the habit 
We forgot the importance of gathering together, of worshiping together, of studying together, of how important it is to have other people in our lives, especially other believers that are challenging us and growing us up. It's so important. For some people, it's just busyness. Like, life gets busy. I don't have enough time to read my Bible. I just can't find time to pray. I can't spend any time with God. For others, it's sin. Like, you, you sinned, and then there was another sin, and then another sin. By the time you get to the end of it, you're like, man, I've sinned enough. I don't even know if God even wants me around him anymore. And so you just kind of distance yourself from God and all of his people uh, before we realize that God is no longer a part of our daily lives, and we've drifted away. And in that moment, I think we find ourselves like the Israelites in Hosea, where we have forgotten our maker. We've just forgotten all about God. He's no longer a part of our lives. And so today, I want to challenge us as a spiritual family, as brothers and sisters and brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, to regain our passion for Jesus. That's what I desire for us. I want us to light that fire again. Do you remember what it was like when you first saw the light? When you, when you came face to face with Jesus, when he reached into your life and touched you and you realized that there is a God who loves you, that Jesus came and gave himself for you, that you could be forgiven for all of your sins, that the Holy Spirit wants to dwell with you like he's pulling your heart toward God. Do you remember that fire? What that felt like to be on fire, to tell everybody about Jesus because of what he had done in your life? Where did that go? Can we relight that, ignite that fire again? That moment when you realize you were forgiven, you were cleansed, you were loved. There's a section of scripture in Revelation where John is writing, and he's writing to seven different churches, seven letters to churches, and in these, God has an issue with these churches. And the very first one is the church in Ephesus. It's in Revelation 2, and it's sad because it says in this passage, God is speaking to the church, and he says, but I have this complaint against you. Take a look at this. He says, you don't love me or each other as you did at first. Some translations say, you have forgotten your first love. You've forgotten me. The fire went out. You've lost your way. I want us never to be that church. Can we just commit ourselves? We're never going to be like that. We're always going to seek Christ with passion, chase after him with everything that we have. I want us to be more like King David when he was writing about a time when he was, he was being chased. He was in the wilderness in Judah, and, and he, was, he was running for his life. And in Psalm 63, he wrote, Oh God, you are my God. Listen to his term. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. Can you hear the ache? Can you hear the desire and the passion in that? Do you have that? Do you have that type of passion to seek God? Because he's all there is. Otherwise, where are you looking to? What, what, are, what are you looking to provide for you? Is it your spouse? Because they're going to let you down. Are you trying to live vicariously through your kids? Because that doesn't work. Your parents are going to fail you. Boyfriend, girlfriend, that definitely doesn't work. Jesus and Jesus alone. Can we regain that passion again? 
I know some of you might, your argument might be, you know what, um, I hear what you're saying, but I've messed up. Like I had a good relationship with God, but I've messed up really bad. And I don't know if God would ever take me back again. And I want to say, well, messed up like how? Like you betrayed Christ? Because that would be horrible. Or maybe you betrayed Christ three times. Do you know there's actually an example of that in Scripture? Peter, one of his own disciples, betrayed him three times. And what I love about this story is you, you go forward in the story to John chapter 21, and you find Jesus. After he's gone to the cross, he's died, he was buried, he rose again. He comes back for Peter. Peter's betrayed him three times, and yet he comes back. He's standing on the shore. Peter's out in the boat, and he sees him. He jumps out of the boat, and he runs to Jesus. And Jesus has already got fish on a fire. Like, he's already got breakfast cooked. Like, you and me, we're going to have breakfast together, dude. I'm going to sit down with you. And Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? One for every time they betrayed him. Why? Because Jesus is like, I want you back come back. Like my sacrifice was enough. What are you doing still running? What are you doing still in shame when I've paid for all of that? I want more brothers and sisters. And you know what his answer to that was? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. He's like, why are you you still in the boat? Like, you know who I am. Go tell other people about me. Like, go to your brothers and sisters and tell them who I am. Go to those who are far from me. Tell them who I am so that I might add to the family. Why? Because my God has a big house and he's got lots of rooms and he wants a big family. There's more than enough room. What are you doing out here fishing? Because of your shame? I've already taken care of that. See, this Christmas, what would Jesus want for Christmas? I think think he wants brothers and sisters. More of them, as many, uh, the more the, the better. Brothers and sisters, and not just brothers and sisters, but brothers and sisters who are following him, who are doing the will of the Father. Those who are chasing after him, not because they have to, but out of a heart of gratitude, out of their love for, for the Father. Because the Father wants a big family. He wants a loving family. He wants a family that's united. Uh, he wants a family who gathers together and worships. He wants a family who prays together. He wants a family who goes out and changes the world. I believe what Jesus wants is he wants more brothers and sisters. Can uh, I just challenge you this morning? We're going to move into a time of worship. Can I challenge you to pray a prayer that's a little dangerous? I say a little dangerous. It's dangerous. Would you, during this time of worship, you can stand, you can sit, you can do whatever you want, but here's what I want to challenge you to do. Would you pray that God would allow the Holy Spirit to move in your heart and mind? If it's conviction, if that's what you need, then pray for that. If it's encouragement, pray for that. Or, or maybe you don't even know. Just go, God, I just need you to meet with me right now. Like, I'm not even sure if you, you know who I am. Would you just pray that the Holy Spirit would just meet you right where you're at? And would begin to transform you into somebody that looks more and more like Jesus. Would you do that? Let me pray for us real quick. Heavenly Father, we just come to you as a a group of people who are broken. But God, we have a passion for you. Thank you so much for uh, coming 
for being our savior, for rescuing us when we couldn't do it on our own, Lord. We, we had no hope without you, and yet you came. And Lord, we celebrate that. We worship you. We bless you for that. But today, Lord, I ask for all of us in this room that you would send uh, your spirit just to move in our minds and hearts. God, show us where we're falling short. Some of us, we've lost our first love. That fire has gone out, and God, we want to reignite that. We want to we rediscover a passion for you. We want a closer walk with you. Uh, God, use us this week as, as we start right now to focus on you. I pray that this week would be one of those weeks where we would just find ourselves just getting closer and closer and closer to you. Seeing you in our work, seeing you in our conversations and and seeing you in everything that happens this week, Lord. God, would you reignite this passion, this, this relationship with your children today? God, we just pray that all of this is molding and shaping us into people that look more and more like you. We pray all this brings glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people agreed and said,